Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Techno Roll, a special Let It Roll Maxi series discussing Simon Reynolds' book Energy Flash, a journey through rave music and dance culture, hosted by Nate Wilcox and Ryan Harkness. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcast.com. Today, Nate and Ryan talk about the history of pirate radio in the UK and why it was so critical to the emergence of jungle. Email us at letitrollpodcast at gmail.com. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. It's time to let it roll, or should I say techno roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and once again, I'm joined by Ryan Harkness to continue our discussion of Energy Flash, a journey through rave music and dance culture by Simon Reynolds. And this week, we're talking about chapter something. This sound is for the underground, the story of pirate radio. Ryan, welcome. All right. Thanks for having me. And there's so much to potentially cover when it comes to UK pirate radio. So I'm really excited to talk about this because, you know, the, the, the chapter's kind of sticks on a couple of, of interesting uh, elements of, of the whole thing, but there's just so much that you could get into. There's multiple eras of pirate radio, the golden age in the 60s, and then the 80s when everybody was trying to go legit, and the 90s when the rave stuff really takes over. I mean, uh, like you could just throw a throw a, a dart at a dartboard and choose and, and talk about this for like hours, I feel. And it's surprising to me that this only got, what, five, six pages in the book? Indeed. And the, uh, in some editions, it was cut out of the book entirely. And I think that's because it is such a big topic. And I think Reynolds knew that it had been covered in a lot of other places, the broad history of pirate radio in the UK. But for our purposes, we are going to expand a little bit because I think you just have to tell the story starting in the 60s to get the context of what was going on in the 90s. So, And, and Reynolds talks about some specific points in the 90s, and he brings it up at this point in our narrative because pirate radio is especially important in the promulgation of the next subgenre we're going to talk about, which is, of course, jungle. So let's get us there. And um, also, I think that, that the 80s period, because it focuses on basically rare groove and jazz funk DJs, has, you know, for whatever reason, that era got cut out of the Brewster and Broughton book and uh, is not covered in this book, although Reynolds says he'd like to go back, you know, if he could write his ultimate book on electronic dance music in Britain, it would cover more of the 80s warehouse and rare groove scene that was going on. But let's go back to the 60s and talk about this. And the first thing to understand when you talk about British broadcasting is that the BBC is a very, very different thing with a very, very different approach to what Americans have had in the 20th century. Whereas America has pretty much always had a corporate laissez-faire approach to radio, not anything goes, but between the FCC and the major corporations that they license broadcasting channels, along with a few do-gooders at the end of the dial in the nonprofit zone, it's pretty much anything goes and has been uh, throughout our century. Plus, you had massive broadcasters from across the Mexican border, et cetera, um, through a lot of the 20th century. But in Britain, you had just a handful of stations, literally one, two, three, and they were very strictly controlled and would, until the 19, late 1960s, 
British radio would only play pop for a couple hours a day and not even every day. Yeah, it was very, very limited. Like there was there was max quarters on, on the whole thing. So and it really blows your mind to kind of imagine. Uh, and it's understandable, I guess, when you take a look at the stodgy British government, how this this could have been for so long. So it's no, not surprising at all that the people pushed back and immediately started trying to figure out ways to to get around this and use up all that valuable real estate on the dial that was just sitting there doing nothing while there was just dry chatter on all the other stations. Government, uh, government supported official chatter. Exactly. And, and actually, it took them a little while. You know, the radio comes on in the 20s and big in the 30s. And it's not till the 60s that there's really a significant British pirate radio. They had Radio Luxembourg coming from the continent. And what actually triggered the British pirate channels was that uh, two music managers couldn't get their acts record. They were two guys, Ronan O'Reilly and George Drummond were managing Georgie Fame and the Blue Flames, and they could not get his record played on Radio Luxembourg. The BBC wasn't even a prospect, but Radio Luxembourg, they had hopes for, couldn't get him on. So they started looking, what would it take to actually get our own channel? And at that point, because of the way the laws were written or not written at that point in time, it made sense to have a ship in the channel transmitting FM radio or AM radio across Britain. And so they did it. They set up... Uh, a ship. They put a transmitter on it. They had a studio, and they launched in December of '64. No, wait, in March 1964, and quickly built an immense audience. And this tells you how big the opportunity was, because this was a pretty underfunded, underpowered station, and built an audience of five to seven million people within a year, which is incredible in a country as small as Britain. Yeah, and it's it's funny how. Everybody got away with everything because at the beginning, all of the laws surrounding radio broadcasts seemed to be pointed more towards trying to keep the Germans and other enemies of the state from propagandizing over the airwaves. So the uh, British government, not good at handing out licenses to, to keep up with demand and definitely not good at keeping their laws uh, uh, up up to code to, to keep something as surprise as uh, something of a surprise like these guys coming out and just playing rock and roll and, and soul music and stuff like that. That, no idea how to how to deal with it. Yeah, and it's also I think important to mention that the British radio system was developed in the 1930s when a little guy named Joseph Goebbels was causing no end of trouble on the European continent with his Nazi propaganda for the the Hitler regime in Germany. Also, you had Russia where Trotsky was an early adopter of the radio format, and then Stalin took that over. So they had seen what totalitarian governments could do with radio and were very, very leery about that. So that's kind of why they were so focused on outside agitators. We had they had no concept of anything like Radio Caroline coming down the pike. And it was no time at all before you had imitators. One of the biggest ones was Radio London, which was funded by a Texan, which is just classic. He read a magazine article about Radio Caroline and was like, oh, you know, we got to do this because he was involved in radio in North Texas and looks at the size of the British market and how few radio stations there were and realized that you know he could reach masses of people with basically the kind of signal competition you would have in rural northeast Texas. So uh, you know, amazing opportunity. But let's go ahead and hear um, some pirate radio. And this is DJ Danny Rampling, uh, one of the people who brought Acid House and Balearic music to the Britain. And here he is on KISS FM, which is one of the top underground pirate stations in the 80s. And we'll talk about KISS in a minute. And tell us why you picked this clip, Ryan. I just like this one because KISS was a station that was pirate, but they kind of tried to run it like it was real. But they still had... Uh... They were really insistent on making sure that they had a lot of under, underground music representation. And Danny Rampling was out there. And to me, this is proselytizing. He's proselytizing for the word of Balearic. And he's using, uh, you know, keywords and he's creating a language around it. And he's, he's basically trying to uh, spread the word of Balearic to all of the listeners. So I love hearing this and imagining this every, every week and, and how this would drive a movement like it ended up doing. And let's listen. Turn the boogaloo on this Friday afternoon playing that especially. It's a lovely, 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 lovely Jenny. Oh, hi. 
And Johnny and the gang down there are FFFR. Italian disco on this Friday afternoon. Unable to say what they are because we don't want the, uh, the big boys at the commercial venues knowing what they are, do we? Real Balearic Beats, Real Balearic people on a Friday afternoon to kiss. Happy, 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 happy radio. Lots more house and Balearic to come up until four o'clock with me, Danny. Happy rambling. And that was legendary DJ Danny Rampling proselytizing the Balearic musical style on KISS FM in 1988. So this is just at the beginnings of Acid House. This is before the first, second summer of love and well before the second, second summer of love. So but we're getting a little ahead of our story. So in the 60s, Pirate Radio comes out. It's immediately successful. Like I said, Radio Caroline had an audience of up to 7 million people. Radio London had an audience of another 8 million people. So these are immense draws and they're money-making ventures they're selling advertising they're not paying um the fees that you would normally have to pay to pay records and pay to songwriters so obviously there was some pushback and the bbc recognized that there was audience demand but stodgy is absolutely the word that is appropriate because you know reynolds has some i might not have been reynolds but somebody had a great quote from a bbc official in the 60s as to why they didn't want to put pop music on the air 24-7, even though they knew there was a massive demand for it. He says, you can't have popular music on all the time. It would be like having the pubs open all day. So they didn't want people to be drunk on the Beatles and the Stones and the Yardbirds and all that. Like, (laughs) just crazy. And I think that is a window into why they've been so reactionary towards Jungle. They didn't even like pop when it was Cliff Richard and Petula Clark. So no way do they want something like Jungle um, on the official airwaves. So in 1967, they wrote the Broadcasting Offenses Act, and sh- or they wrote it in 66, enacted it in 67, and it mostly shut the pirates down. It made it a criminal offense for British citizens to work for or assist in the running of a pirate station. Before that, only the the ship was in international waters, so it was not culpable, and there was no law against helping said ship or you know, recording a show that's going to be transmitted um, via that ship. But this this law changed it, so it was illegal. And it was part of a two-pronged strategy. They shut down the pirates legally, and then they co-opted them by launching Radio 1. They also launched Radio 2, 3, and 4 at the same time. But Radio 1 was the one that was the big pop station. And they recruited ex-pirate DJs like John Peel, Johnny Walker, Tony Blackburn, Dave Lee Travis, and more. So, you know, a combination of assault and assimilation pretty well took out that first wave of pirates. Yeah, and you know, you can consider it a win because we did get that extra radio station and John Peel get to, got to continue to to build up his reputation as a, as a real tastemaker and uh, exposer of new music. So, uh, you know, round one, I don't know who you'd say the winner was, but I, you know, the, the public definitely won in, in a way. Yeah, I would, I would say it was a win for the public, both when the pirates were running and then when uh, Radio One was launched uh, and made John Peel a British institution. Um, and thankfully, Jimmy Savile wasn't involved in this. <laughs> None of these. Thank, pirates... thank God, he keeps a, he he pops up more than Paul Oakenfold, I swear. Yeah, and pops up is is the right word for that ghoul. But um, yeah, no, no smirches on John Peel's record, the late great John Peel. But in the 70s, there's still an opportunity, and the pirate radio moves ashore. There's no percentage in having it be on a ship once that's made illegal. It was, it was no fun sailing around on the North Sea and the British Channel during storms. So if you don't have to do it, why do it? And in 1970, Radio Invictus launched, and this was Europe's first R&B soul station. So, you know, and we know what a massive audience and appetite there was in Britain. And I would have to think that Radio Invicta helped the Northern Soul movement, for one thing, um, reach the cult status that it did. And Radio Invicta goes all the way up till 1984. And then there's the Dread Broadcasting Corp. in 1980 uh, that's actually black-owned, not just playing um, black music, but actually owned by black people, played reggae and soca music, uh, featured future BBC personality ranking Miss P. London Weekend Radio was launched in 1983 and then taken over by new ownership and management, also black owned and relaunched in 1984. This was one of the two big rare groove and jazz funk stations and also played a big role in introducing hip hop into London and of course kept the reggae uh, as a big part of the mix as well. And then 
fairly soon after 1985 Kiss FM is launched that we just heard from. Similar blend to London Weekend Radio, plus they were uh, pioneers of, of bringing the house sound onto and radio. And DJs just in general actually mixing on the air. Yes, that was the big, big breakthrough. And so that kind of stuff is going on in Chicago with the Hot Mix 5, a big part of the development of house music, and it's happening in London. And I think contributed mightily to the big influence of hip house in the UK, which hip house is yet another American style that was really stillborn in the US because of you know, conflicts within the black community. The hip hop community did not like house and kind of vice versa. And so this attempt to mix them was rejected in the States, but it was well accepted in the UK. And you have people like Jazzy B who goes on to be a big part um, to be part of Soul to Soul, as well as Danny Rampling, DJ Con Conduct, which I'm suspecting might be a spell correction. So if I got that name wrong, that's I'm going to blame Microsoft's text editor. Um, but yeah, so you had this whole creative flow. And some of the documentaries about uh, pirate radio in the 80s really hit me over the head with how much rare groove and jazz funk has been slept on in the histories. And what do you think that is? Uh, you know... I think it must be just from the two books that we've read that we're talking about, you know, dance music, dance culture, and Rare Groove and Soul is less of a dance-oriented music and maybe not as forward uh, thinking. I mean, all the all the Rare Groove guys ended up being the, the tip of the spear for, for a lot of the dance music genres and stuff like that, but I think uh, just soul gets left left kind of on the back burner because it wasn't it wasn't part of that evolution directly so it just kind of gets looked over like that yeah i mean they, they talked about high energy uh as sort of the uk representative uk dance style of that era and i think the difference was high energy was actually a novel sound a new kind of dance music that was created by djs and producers and producer djs whereas rare groove was like Northern Soul and that it was so fixated on, frankly, worshiping the records and the music makers that they didn't, you know, they did some mix on the air, but they weren't creating a whole new genre there at the turntables. They were broadcasting a genre that was made in the studios. So I can sort of see an argument for saying it's not truly a DJ based music, but it's definitely a big part of British um, dance music history and culture. And, and you can see just from all the people we've talked about who came right out of this scene, including Danny Ramplin, including Soul to Soul and so many others. And it's really when we talk about jungle and why it's important that Rare Groove becomes more obviously historically important because you can see that this was one of the first time that Afro-Anglos were really making their presence felt. Not as people who are rebroadcasting music from Jamaica or even making music in imitation of Jamaican music or along aligned with Jamaican music. And because some of the British reggae is right up there with any of the best reggae ever. It's just that the style was created in Jamaica and the rare groove style was totally coming from the States. Jungle's the first time the Afro-Anglo people make their own novel contribution to the music genres of the world. And, uh, you know, it couldn't have happened without this rare groove thing. And technology, of course, is, is, is bumping along. And we'll talk about some of the new texts that made this easier to do when we come back. But let's hear um, something from Don FM from 1993. This is MCOC on Don FM. Tell us why you picked this track. Well, I mean, it was the obvious one to pick because it's the uh, this this quote that we we got here is the same quote that starts the chapter from Simon Reynolds' book. So I just figured once I once I dug that up, I was like, well, this this has to go in there. And you know, it's not brain surgery, but we do the best we can. Good job on that, Ryan. This is MCOC on Don FM, nineteen ninety three. Coming on strong, coming on real strong. Big shout out to Rattle. Hold it down, come on now. The sounds are lucky spin. Come again. To the freno. Believe me, hardcore's firing, yes. Do it like this. Sounds of the jungle is. Jungleistic specialist. 
On a 0831, a 308 and a 424, the donor. Massive shout down to Simon, that's come from Paul. Lively crew going out to you and you and you and you. Sounds are lucky spin along with MCOC, do you like it? Do it like this, jungle is. Alright. Red eye crew, you're not a coup, going out to you. Wind your waist crew, head nodding crew. And those who's licking it in Donland in their cars, yes? Driving right, Donland. The Donnites and your Donnets. Okay, the fifth, the seventh, get on the case. The hardcore, hardcore base. Lucky spin. And that was MCOC on Don FM, Don FM from 1993. And like Ryan said, it's one of the um, pirate radio broadcasts that Simon Reynolds quotes in the chapter. And the beautiful thing about this era is it is well documented. There are lots of pirate radio DJ sets from the 80s, from the 90s, from the knots, from the teens that you can get online and hear right now. And I have found that... Uh, the pirate radio sets are a great way to listen to the music of the different eras. One of the um, pirate radio sets I found from 1990 really got across house music to me in a way that nothing else I had heard did or acid house. And the same thing with happy heart or hardcore house and then jungle. It's a great way to hear it. Yeah, I don't think I I don't think I ever understood UK Speed Garage until I listened to about three hours worth of uh, Speed Garage radio. And and you can really imagine cruising around London late at night with this playing and and then you get it. It's not just the stuff because I think the problem with Speed Garage that most people have is they've ended up hearing the Speed Garage that was uh, mainstream and commercialized. And so when you're hearing these white labels, you stick your Shazam up to the up to the speaker and you try to figure out what the hell this is. You try to deep dive on the Internet and find out what it is. None of this stuff. None of this stuff is is out there uh, officialized or, or under under the eye of the almighty Shazam or the YouTube algorithm. No one knows this is this is the real underground stuff, and it's bumping. Yeah, there's a, a hours and hours of listening listening pleasure. You know, whether you're looking to educate yourself or just to enjoy. I also thought about the way this changed the music, the way the music was heard, because. It's not just music for the dance floor. By definition, if you're listening to it on radio, you are not in a dance club unless the dance club's broadcasting the radio. You're probably in your car. You're probably in your house. You're probably on your headphones. So, uh, you know, this is music that can be experienced as listening music as well as dance music. And that's been one of the big conflicts Reynolds, of course, has grappled with through this whole thing. But I teased earlier that we're going to talk about some of the technological breakthroughs. And... One of the things that came along in the 80s was microwave links that made it possible to put a transmitter, a really cheap little transmitter. I mean, some of these things look like, you know, aluminum kids lunchboxes with a few circuits in it, plug it into a power source, put it on the roof of a tall tower building, and boom, uh, you're on the air. And since you can send a microwave beam from your studio to the tower, you don't have to risk your studio. It's easy to trace, you know, if you're transmitting FM radio, and that's another thing, it changed from AM radio in the 60s to FM radio through the 70s and 80s. So by the, this time, it's all FM. If you're broadcasting, it's easy to find that signal. Any 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 technician can triangulate the position of, of a transmitter that's transmitting a radio broadcast to the public airwaves. However, it was much harder to track those microwaves Later on, they developed technology that allowed them to track the microwaves much better, and so they could chase the pirates to their studios. But initially, they could only capture those transmitters, and the pirates would just be laughing in their studio and maybe go to a transmitter they'd already set up on another building or just wait a day and go back to the same building and put a new transmitter out. So. It's yeah, a, it's a cat it was a big cat. Yeah, definitely, definitely a cat and mouse thing. And even though, like London had a a big group of people working for the government running around trying to shut all these things down and they were they were by all accounts very fervent uh at their jobs and very intent on shutting all these guys down there was just so much going on 
that they were never able to keep to, to really put a proper dent into anything is because London is basically the perfect city for pirate radio. It's so densely packed and you have these massive high rise block buildings that are just exactly what you need for just sticking an antenna out of the window or on the roof. And these pirates had it all figured out what neighborhoods were at the highest elevation and which buildings would be best to use. And unfortunately, that also meant that anybody who knew what was up also knew where the transmitters should be sitting. And, you know, it wasn't just the government that was shutting shutting down the pirate radio stations. The pirates themselves would also be on the hunt for, for transmitters and antennas and stuff like that just so they could steal them and use them themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the ironies of neoliberal economic and social practice that they – want to segregate poor people into the smallest amount of space. So they build these hideous clockwork orange, um, you know, apartment towers to stuff poor people in that then they neglect. And that means there's no security. There's very little maintenance. So it was easy for the pirates to get on the roof and, and functionally until the much bigger crackdowns came later on. If you controlled the local muscle in those communities, or if you had a detente with them, you could get your station's transmitter up there and be protected by the local tough guys. And somebody else who wanted to mess with your stuff would have to deal with said local tough guys and not with the, you know, radio DJ. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of political stuff and a lot of irony going on. And of course, the British government responds to this with the Broadcasting Act of 1990 and shuts it down. And my impulse is always to get mad at the government for doing stuff like this, but I've kind of come to understand through this project, like talking to Ted Joy and others, I think that sometimes this governmental friction is the sand that creates the pearl and the oyster, because when you try to oppress people and people have music that they want to get out and that people want to hear, they go to extra links to do it. And when music is underground, it's more free and can make bolder statements and do things that maybe make it hold an audience, make a deeper connection to a smaller audience rather than a shallow connection to a big audience. I mean, if you really want to kill a genre, commercialize it. We saw that with the original wave of disco. And we see that again with hip house in the early 90s, you know, when groups like Soul to Soul and Ace of Bass and everybody else have these massive hits and Delight and so many others. Great radio hits, but kind of discredited the genre with the underground. So, you know, it's it's a it's a given and trade, and you can always count on the British to overreact. Yeah, and it's uh, it's kind of funny because in America, right around 1990, that's when you know all the, all that homogenization, uh, corporatization of the radio waves came about. And just just because of that, dance music was kind of pushed off the dial in a, in a number of markets where it was doing quite well and, and sustaining a nice little scene. And when it was pushed out and hip hop and rock basically took over the dial, all of a sudden the scene started to falter and go and there was no real there, there was no real pushback on that because there wasn't the system where people could just pick up and, and run pirate radio stations. So in that way, it's strange because with the oppression the UK had a lot more options musically on the dial than we did. And uh, it, it did end up working out. But you got to give the government credit for being bad at their job and not good enough to actually shut it down. Because I've been on the on the the receiving end of, of some government decisions that have definitely killed scenes. And it just comes down to whether or not they're efficient or not to, to actually like push through and and kill what they want to kill. Yeah, I mean, and the British, um at least in this area, we're not that good. Do you know what DTI stands for? That's the British government agency that was in charge of chasing down these stations and shutting them off. But I can't remember the, what the acronym's for. Um, but if you don't remember, no worries. But they, Reynolds has this great quote. Department of Trade and Industry. Ah, there you go. Department yeah, of Trade and Industry. That's there was a, there was a really good quote from one of the guys in one of the documentaries that we watched, saying that it was ironic that it's the DTI that uh, that was in charge of shutting down all these radio stations because they were the Department of Trade and Industry is supposed to be the the department that helps entrepreneurs get set up and work their way through the difficulties of 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 you know government legislation and paperwork and everything else like that. So these are the guys that normally that you would turn to and say, I want to start a business, I want to start importing something, I want to do this, I want to do that. And they help you with that, unless you're a pirate radio uh, station, in which case they're going to they're going to climb up onto your building and, and take your stuff and they're going to get laws passed so that there's a threat that if they catch a DJ DJing on pirate radio, they don't just take the gear. They might take your records, too. 
And that is a is a low blow and a brutal strike. And let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I'll tell you what the DTI's rationalization for why they had to shut down these stations. So the DTI, their official line was, quote, this is the, a quote from a trade and technology minister who said, these stations not only cause radio and TV interference for the ordinary listener, but can seriously endanger life by disrupting the radio commu- communications of the emergency services and airport control towers. So, yeah, if we don't take these savage pirates off the air, they're going to be crashing planes into your subdivision. Um Totally a legitimate concern, not not <laughs> not uh, hyperbole at all, not not just completely made up whatever to to get people against the stations. Definitely not. And again, it is possible if you don't know what you're doing, or if you don't have any concern for frequencies, that you could be interfering with existing stations, other pirate stations, or emergency services. But as a rule, the pirates want to be heard. They don't want to compete with emergency services for the signal, and they know that that's going to bring attention from the authorities if they try to overwrite uh, the emergency services or, God forbid, the air control traffic frequencies. So, yeah, I mean, this is essentially nonsense. And and the thing was that the rare groove stations played – Tried people like Kiss FM really, really tried to get on the air legitimately. The and the and the DTI would do this thing where they would say, "Okay, if you want to get on the air legitimately, you have to shut down." Here, we're going to declare an amnesty. Everybody who shuts down by midnight on this date can then apply for a broadcasting license. And so people spend all this money. They take months and months. They're off the air, so they're losing money on advertising. Then the day they award the license comes out and it goes to Jazz FM, which is like this fuddy-duddy jazz station set up by a bunch of friends of people in parliament. And so it was a real classic, blatant, flagrant bait and switch. And, you know, Last uh, last FM actually um, wrote it out and, and did try again and, and get the application, partly because there was such a backlash against this obvious – I mean, nobody – Obviously, jazz is great and everything, but in the 1980s, jazz was the definitive fuddy-duddy sound. It was not what young people wanted to hear, and so um, you know it was a very easy story. It was kind of like when Jethro Tull won the heavy metal album of the year Grammy. That forced some change, and so Kiss FM stuck it out, stuck to their guns, rode a wave of publicity, and finally got licensed. But the next wave of pirate DJs saw that, and I think especially once they started turning from acid house into hardcore and then into jungle they knew that the kind of music they were playing was never going to get the support of the british government so uh they just flew the pirate flag unrepentantly and kind of the authorities um created their own nemesis through this overreaction yeah and it's like i feel like I understand why they wanted to shut it down. Uh, you know, there was this one station set that I listened to. I think it was Center Force. And the drug references in this one, man, just the DJ slamming in this sample, repeating over and over, just ecstasy, ecstasy. So like hearing that, if I was like just some just some old guy, I would want to shut this whole thing down and never allow it to happen. Shut it down. So it, it, it was shocking to me, and it still shocks me kind of how – that that first role after the summer of love happens and people are still willing to reasonably debate whether or not rave should be allowed or not with the bad press that they were getting and the the self-referential drug uh, endless drug references that are stuck into the music and being played on the radio i'm i'm surprised the whole thing didn't get a an even harder pushback so it's uh yeah, it's amazing that the whole thing was was dealt with as reasonably as possible. Because you know, in America, if there was this kind of backlash, the next day there'd be they'd, they'd be gone. It would be they'd come at it harder than vapes. It would yeah. just be it would be bad news. And these Indeed. guys, basically, there was there was nothing really effective that was done to shut these guys down legally until they basically said. Uh, you can't advertise on a pirate radio station or we'll come after you. And that kind of messed with the money, but just left more room for the pirates who did it for the love. Yep, indeed. And and this era of the late 80s, there's been a switch in the clubs from rare groove and jazz funk 
to Acid House, and that was reflected on the airwaves. And all these stations that basically had a rave on the air format come out. In London, you've got Rush FM, Cool FM, Pulse FM, Innocence, Dawn FM, and Defection. In Birmingham, you have PCRL, Frontline, and Sting. Manchester, you've got the Superstation, Buzz FM, and Soul Nation. Sheffield, you've got Dance FM, Fantasy FM, and SCR. Bristol, you've got Passion Radio, Raga FM, For the People. Liverpool had Z100. Leeds had Dream FM. Um, And so you just had a massive explosion across the country of pirate radio, and it went hand in hand with the explosion of popularity of raves. Radio is so essential to the promulgation of a scene because it's free. It's on the air. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to go somewhere. You don't have to go to a dodgy illegal rave. You don't have to go to an underground club. You can sit right there in your kitchen or in your car and pick up these new sounds. And maybe that will intrigue you enough to make you want to go to that underground club or that rave out in the country. And, and, you know, likewise, the DJs that are playing these clubs can then go on the radio and play the stuff they've seen work in the club. And also, when people have heard stuff on the radio, that's when you play a record for the first time in a club and it gets a, a roar of applause and people rush to the dance floor because they've heard it before on the radio. So radio is an absolutely vital part of the mix uh, in popularizing music. And it also uh, helps with representations of different communities and, and, and genres of people and stuff like that. So like you got all the junglists and you, with, with all the jungle that was going on, you hear all the shout outs, to all the different crews, all the represents and everything else like that. So, I mean, uh, this 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 creates a community like uh, there's there's a shared communal element to radio that that there's a, a lot of you out there listening to the same thing. And uh, who doesn't want to be part of a community, especially if you had no representation whatsoever through any of the official sources? Yeah. And in this neoliberal period, you know, when you have the prime minister of England saying there's no such thing as society, just individuals. That creates this real hunger for community. We are a communal species that lives in groups and organizes in groups and lives in communities and, you know, evolved sleeping in great big furry piles in caves. So we'd like to be close to each other and, and dance around the campfire to to the same music everybody else is dancing to. And this this created this shared experience. But, you know, like you were saying, um, the drug references and the massive wave of anti-rave publicity in the tabloids at this point created this sort of criminal association with these rave on the air stations. Center Force DJs were busted in 1989. Uh, Rush FM built a literal fortress that had concertina wire on the roof of the tower. Uh, DJs had to abseil up the building, and that's when you have uh, gear that you put on a rope so you can climb up a rope. And they sealed the ground level entrances with concrete, with metal scaffolding inside the concrete. They filled the scaffolding pipes with ammonia and connected them to the electrical main. So when the poor workers who uh, were tasked with breaking into this building take their jackhammers to break the concrete, as soon as they hit those pipes, uh, there's shocks and explosions and ammonia gas uh, leaking out. So, And of course, that creates more bad publicity. And they're able to say, look, these people are taking, these are drug gangs that are taking over public property with this scary concertina wire and, and all this stuff. So it just feeds into, I don't want to say a negative cycle, because the ultimate outflow of that was jungle and happy hardcore and all these and speed garage and all these other genres that wouldn't have gotten a hearing had it been not been for pirate radio. But nonetheless, it creates it adds to this dynamic. And I think a lot of the gritty underground vibe of jungle it's not just the racial aspect it's also this aspect of being underground being pirates being criminals being associated with drug dealers that creates this whole vibe that then causes the powers that be to overreact even more to the point where eventually they ban the playing of jungle and grime music in clubs or attempt to so you know crazy stuff but let's go ahead and hear another um, excerpt from some pirate radio that this is another one that Reynolds quoted at length and cited as one of his favorite bits of musical history from the 20th century. This is the uh, FMB crew from Lightning FM from February 12, 1993. 
Do you need to even tell us why you picked it, or is it too obvious? Uh, I mean, anytime you have an MC rapping about pooping, you, you just got to include that. It's one of those things where when you read the chapter, he's got a literal transcript of the of, of the rap, and I don't think it really captures the essence of it. You got to hear it, so you can hear it here. Bringing up the up man, the metal man, hold it down, cinders, you know the score. And the builder, and the coke man. Bringing up the coke man, the builder. Ice Not forgetting the sweat. it up, bring it up. Do it, do it. I'm in a middle, in a loop. Hot, hot. And that was the FMB crew on Lightning FM in February of 1993. And this is the doo-doo poo-poo MC, as you called him, that Simon Reynolds quoted. And yeah, reading a transcript of it does not convey the vibe of actually hearing it. Although, I think reading the transcript adds another level of understanding because when you read the words, it really comes across as silly and ridiculous. But then when you hear it, the power is kind of obscuring the ridiculousness of it. So I think I think the transcript uh, definitely adds to what, uh, and I understand why Reynolds put it in there. Yeah, it plays into he brings back the losing guitari, uh, who are his favorite uh, psycho and uh, so psychoanalysts and philosophers about the lower language of uh, of this kind of group. Uh, you know, something something that people on the outside won't understand, but people on the under, un, on the inside understand implicitly. So it's like almost like a, a secret language, and that uh, that that rings true. Indeed, and he also brings back Hakeem Bey to talk about the temporary autonomous zone, or TAS, which is when people are able to create a space that's protected from the authorities to engage in these um, – antisocial is the word that's coming to mind, but that's not exactly right – but in these counter-narratives uh, to the dominant narrative. So yeah, I mean it gives Reynolds a chance to, to bring um, – some of the depth and philosophy that he spent so much time reading and thinking about into this. But for the rest of it, it's, it's just great fun to hear uh, idiots getting high and talking about doo-doo and poo-poo on there. Yeah, and it also kind of there, – there's there's something kind of representative of it as well in, in the fact that th this is only political insofar as they want to play their music. Uh, they want They want representation for the music that these people are listening to. And it doesn't really go much further than that because that's as rebellious as they wanted to get. You know, it didn't. I'm, I'm sure there are examples of radio stations that took politics further than that. But uh, for the most part, uh, the, the the rebellion started and ended with uh, with just getting this music onto the radio so other people could listen to it. So in that way, it's surprisingly harmless uh, when you think about the kind of things that can happen when when just the rabble ends up on the radio and gets millions of listeners. Yeah, absolutely. This is not what a 1990s Trotsky would have been doing with a radio signal. This, These guys were very much in the neoliberal spirit themselves. It's hard to escape the spirit of your age. They just wanted to get their music on the air, and they wanted to be free of those commercial concerns. They had heard what happened to Last FM once it became part of a corporate conglomerate, and it could no longer strictly be about the music. So they wanted to avoid that. So in a way, the pirate status gave them a lot of freedom that they were happy to have, and it allowed them to help drive the evolution of this music in a way that, you know, just cannot happen when you're a corporate concern that can't put a record on until it's been focus grouped and discussed at multiple meetings and multiple program directors and executives have signed off on it. These guys wanted to have a system where DJ likes the record, DJ puts the record on the turntable, DJ puts the record on the radio, and it's out there. Um, maybe the DJ raps over it. This is also – I think that these pirate radio – DJs, this is really where England learned how to MC. I mean, that's always been kind of one of the knocks on British hip house music was that it was fine and dandy until they start trying to rap. I, I still can't stand EMF, for example, for just just bad, bad, bad rapping. And these guys, if you listen to these pirate radio broadcasts, you can hear grime evolving. Um, and the and the MCs, I think, are a much bigger part of the mix on the radio than they were in the clubs. Do you think that's a fair guess? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like uh, UK UK rappers rap faster. I mean, the beats are faster. They're they're doing it faster. It's uh, it's good stuff. I mean, no one raps faster than the Jungle Brothers in my book. It's true. Although the actual literal Jungle Brothers are probably the native tongues in hip hop who did do a hip house track. Um, thing was called House Me. But yeah, the, the brothers were doing jungle music, not the jungle brothers, maybe would be a better way to put it. Yeah. And so Reynolds describes some of the changes that go on in the mid 90s that, you know, you've got Cool FM that gets joined by Rinse FM, Rude FM, Flex FM and Dream FM. And these these are stations that are playing jungle and happy hardcore and helping those genres evolve. And, and you know, when you go back and you listen, listen to a set from 90, listen to a set from 91, a set from 92, a set from 93, a set from 94, 95. The difference is extraordinary, but it makes sense if you go one year at a time. You can hear the music evolve from the Acid House and Techno that originally kicked this stuff off and even some Balearic sets. And then you you hear the different genres, the hardcore, the ambient and trance stuff, which wasn't as big on the radio as, as the hardcore. And then Jungle definitely takes shape on the radio in a really audible form. And it's really exciting to me to hear Jungle being born i mean it's so rare to hear the birth pangs of a genre like bebop and bluegrass for example were never recorded in their formative years because of a musician strike in the states in the 1940s we don't have any record of the original disco djs from the late 60s and early 70s partly because the record companies would not let these guys disseminate tapes of the live mixes that they were doing which djs were trying to do in the 70s but by the 90s they were able to put their stuff on the radio and people were able to record it. And we still have those recordings. Buku's of those recordings. I, I think you could dedicate your entire listening life to listening to old DJ sets from the 90s and never get caught up. Yeah, I've spent uh, the past week just just going through tons and tons and there's no end in sight. And I've been putting together playlists of different genres just to have in the car now that I can just throw on because they're so cool. Yeah, it's really, really fun to hear this stuff in context and to hear how it sounded when it was new and hear it in the context of the competition and the other things. And it's it's um, I think that really tells you why certain records become these historical artifacts is because they went off like atom bombs in their context of, of time and history. But let's go ahead and hear our last cue. Uh, this is DJ Twister G. Double E and Treble MC at Shine FM 87.9 from 1999. Speed Garage MCing. Why did you pick this track? I think, you know, we had a lot of clips of MCs talking bollocks. So now here's here's just some straight good MCing over some Speed Garage just to, just to kind of give people an idea of that. All right, let's hear it. And that was DJ Twister G, Double E, and Treble MC on Shine FM 87.9 from 1999, doing some Speed Garage MCing. And we'll get to Speed Garage as another genre or subgenre that evolves in the hot house of British rave. Um, what other developments from this late 90s period do you think we need to cover in the pirate radio se section? Well, you know, I mean, the history was really important in the way that they were all trying to jack each other uh, inside of the scene. Once once we hit the 90s and it's very much just music forward, there's uh, uh I don't think that there's too, too much that we need to cover other than the fact that it existed and it was getting into people's cars, it was getting into people's ears, and it was spreading like wildfire. And that really lays the groundwork for for, for an actual movement in the club and uh, like, uh, yeah, uh, in the summers of love that we talked about. 
Yeah, and then it continues into the 2000s. Obviously, the internet presented uh, big challenges, as did the move to digital radio from analog radio, changed the game. But DJs are still in the mix. In 2007, uh, the British government did a survey and found at least 150 stations were still operating in Britain in 2007. Um, you had stations like Deja Vu, Deja Vu and Rinse FM that were key uh, to the development of grime and dubstep. So uh, th this process continued at least into the 2000s and and to some extent into the 2010s as well, although internet radio kind of changes the game and internationalizes things uh, very much. But still, pirate radio uh, is, is a big thing in Britain, and you, you get a little bit more of it in the States in the 2000s, late 1990s and 2000s, but never anything like you did in England. And again, because England is a relatively small country with one major urban center and a few secondary urban centers, you can really reach a national audience with a pretty small signal. And, and it's, um, I think, a classic example of the way uh, you get more ripples in a small pond and definitely pirate radio uh, put some ripples in the pond. Yeah, the technology was definitely suited for the UK and just the way that that the terrestrial radio works. And it, and it sucks that basically the Internet has kind of killed radio in a lot of ways. I think it's hard to get the same amount of uh, of impact or, or, or audience share now with radio because it's just not a it's just not a shared community thing everybody's not listening to the radio anymore so you can't capture everybody like when's the last time you've turned on you know some people some people listen to nothing but the radio radio in the car but a lot of people don't anymore so it's just splintered off and nothing is really replaced it all that internet streaming radio stuff it's great as an option but again you're not having these big influential blocks of people everybody's not checking out this one station and 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 scenes aren't kind of growing up out of them anymore so it feels like we kind of lost radio as that essential uh ingredient and it was an important one uh, like a shared sound that everybody could tap into so that's that's you know it's it's sad to see that radio is no longer as big as it used to be because you can see here how important it is yeah, absolutely. We're in kind of a Tower of Babel era where um, people, everybody's speaking a different language. Everybody's got their earbuds in. Everybody's got their Beats by Dre on their head and listening to their own thing. And some people are, you know, stuck in one year. You know, one guy over here could be listening to something from 1950. The, the gal next to him could be listening to something from 1970. Somebody else is listening to something from 2021. And uh, never the, the three shall meet. So, you know, um, that's where we are now. But we've been talking about pirate radio. And next week, we're going to be talking about uh, Chapter 10, Roots and Future, Jungle Takes Over London. I'm looking forward to that one, Ryan. Yeah, me too. All right. And so this is for Ryan Harkness. I'm Nate Wilcox, and we've been talking about Energy Flash, a journey through rave music and dance culture by Simon Reynolds, and we'll continue our journey next week. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, Nate and Ryan will be back to discuss the emergence of jungle, the first major genre native to Britain. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 